We see Moses receive this. He asked that the face of the Lord would go with him. Literally, the presence of God. After all, if we could ask for more of anything, wouldn't it be to know God, to know his ways, to do his ways, and then as we receive that, to ask for more of God? That's what he does. Which leads us to the next thought of the intercessor. An intercessor has a desire for the presence of God. The Lord told Moses that he should send an angel with him. But that wasn't good. He was going to send the angel with him. But that wasn't good enough for Moses. Moses wanted the angel, not an angel. He wanted the angel of the Lord. He wanted the presence of God. He wanted God himself and nothing less. And the indictment on our culture is that we learn of God and sometimes follow his ways. But practicing the presence of God takes so much work and takes so much effort that often we stop short. We are satisfied with an angel of the Lord and not the actual presence of God, not the angel of the Lord. We are satisfied knowing of him and not knowing him and being known by him daily and intimately. We are willing to even go to heaven without God if it meant the best of our world's desires could be fulfilled there. Whereas the Lord <coughs> excuse me, the Lord promises to go with Moses in verse 14 and that wasn't enough for Moses because Moses is an intercessor after God's own heart and he understood that he needed the presence of God. Moses knew about the presence of God. And in verse 15 he says, If you don't go with us, Lord, we would rather not go to the promised land at all. It is better that we stay in the desert with your presence than go forward without you. Philip Reich in the commentator said, The problem Moses saw is that God has promised to go with them, and to many that would be enough. But God had not promised to go with them in their midst. And to Moses, that wasn't enough. On some level, the people of God knew that God was with them. He knew that the presence was going to be there. They knew that the presence was going to be there. But it wasn't enough if God was not going to tabernacle with them, dwell among them, be in their midst. Brother Lawrence, in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, said this, I cannot imagine how, re- how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depth of center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with him, I fear nothing. But the least turning from him is insupportable. And then he said, that there needed neither art nor science for going to God, but only a heart resolutely determined to apply itself to nothing but Him or for His sake and to love Him only. Just so you can hear that again, because you all needed it, I needed it, we all need it every day, that there, that there needed neither art nor science for going to God, but only a heart resolutely determined to apply itself to nothing but Him or for His sake and to love Him only. Oh, church, that we would seek nothing higher than Him, nothing but for His sake, 
and nothing but our love for Him, that we would practice His presence in our own life, that we would refuse to move unless God moves us, refuse to believe unless they are the ways of God, refuse to hope unless it is the wonderment, uh, it is hope in the wonderment of salvation, refuse to love unless it is the love that is sparked by the blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And again, take a cue from Brother Lawrence when he said, that all things are possible to him who believes, that they are less difficult to him who hopes, that they are more easy to him who loves, and still more easy to him who perseveres in the practice of these three virtues. That we would believe in the presence of God, that hope would come from the presence of God, and that love would come in the presence of God, and that we all may find ourselves persevering daily in the presence of God. There's no other place to be, friends. Take the world, but give me the presence of God. You can find the most content people, the people with the most satisfied mind in this world, are the people who have found their satisfaction, their hope, their love, their life, their liberty in knowing God and being known by Him. And those Christians like I often do, like you often do, those Christians who have dual loyalties will lose satisfaction quicker than you could imagine. Because nothing can satisfy like that water that when we drink, we will never thirst again. There's a distinct reason why Moses wanted the presence of God. And here it is. Ooh, this is going to be a gut punch for all of us today. An intercessor has a desire to be, to be distinguished as a child of God. You might not be there yet. You might not be as astute as, as you should be. You might not be there yet. An intercessor has a desire to be distinguished as a child of God. You'll get there, don't worry. Moses longed for the immediate presence of God because he wanted to be distinguished amongst the people, amongst the nations, as a child of God. Friends, let me say it so you can get there. I think you're getting there. He wanted to be distinguished amongst the nations as a child of God. He wanted the nations to know the Lord was with him and that he was a child of God. Look at verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Oh, friends, I'm about to punch all of us in the gut, and I'm sorry. We as Christians spend way more time trying to hide the things of God than be distinguished by them. We spend way more time trying to give the world proof that we are just like them than trying to give them proof that we are like God. Sometimes we focus so much on being incarnational that we, we shed our distinctions altogether and we say, whoa, look at me, we're the same. We're the, and then one day I'm going to give you the only difference, the only small difference. We spend so much time telling people and proving to our friends that we are just like them that that's what we end up being. That's what we end up being. 
But that is not what the Bible says the presence of God does. The Bible says that the presence of God actually lets the world know those around you that you are actually different, that you are actually renewed, that you actually have hope, that the Lord's on your side, that His love is in your camp, and that you have nothing to fear. That there is something distinguishing about you. There is something distinguishing about me. That we have the favor of God. So I ask you to think, if we work so hard to shed everything that distinguishes us in our faith, what then is left? What then is left, friends? If we work so hard to prove to our friends that we are just like them, what is left and what is worthy for our friends to follow? How then will they know that the favor of the Lord is on you? What is the point of calling ourselves Christians? What is the point of calling ourselves Christians if we are not little Christ? And distinguished by that. There is no point in being incarnational, friends, if the incarnate one, the presence of the Word became flesh, is not the first thing that is evident in our life. That we, like Moses, would look at the presence of God as the distinguishing factor to be loved and to be cherished and not to be hidden. You know how I feel about being incarnational. You know how I feel about being normal and, and not making, you know, not trying to like make your friends feel weird when they hang out with you. I often don't even tell people that don't know me that I'm a pastor because I don't want them to be strange. You know, I want to whop them with it later, but I don't want them to be strange around me. I want them to be normal around me. But God help us if we spend most of our time convincing our friends that we're not like Christ in order to convince them we're like them. There is no point in incarnational ministry if the incarnate one, the presence of the Word became flesh, is not evident in our life. That we, like Moses, would look at the presence of God as something to be desired and not something to be thrown out. That we would have our lamps lit by the Lord And that we would not hide them under a basket. That we would let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Longing for the same favor. Longing for the same love. Longing for the same marks that so distinguishes our life. And then learning it from our mouths. One last thing I want to note to you very quickly. And that is that the intercessor has a desire to know the glory of of the Lord. Verse 17 through 23. The intercessor has a desire to know the glory of the Lord. For all of his mistakes and mishaps at the beginning of our story of Moses and throughout, Moses is getting it right as we, he's getting it as right as he ever has now as we're witnessing this. The Lord has informed Moses that he will be with Moses and through Moses he will be with the people. That he has found favor He has found the favor of the Lord, but Moses isn't done. Moses has seen over the years that you can never have enough. You can never attain enough of the fullness of the closeness with God this side of heaven. So Moses asks and desires more of the Lord. Moses' request of God, what every Christian would do well to say today and every day. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. 
Show me your ways that I may follow them. Show me who you are. Show me who will go with me. And then he says, show me your glory. Riken said that Moses was asking to see the splendor and radiance of God. Glory is the weightiness of the divine being. And Moses wanted to see it himself. So the holy boldness he said, so with holy boldness he said, show me your glory. Of course, he's already seen it a little bit. Where did Moses see the glory of the Lord? He saw it at the burning bush that never was consumed. He saw it on top of the mountain when he was consumed by the cloud. He saw it in the tent of meeting. But Moses wanted all of God that he can handle and nothing less. And the Lord says, okay. But he kind of says, not okay, too. He says, you can see my full majesty. You can't see my full majesty because you can't see it and live. We all know this. But I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover your face and I will pass you by. And as I pass by, I will open your eyes and you'll be able to see the back. So you'll see my backside. You can see a glimpse of my glory is what the Lord is saying. You can see a part of my glory. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock and his face was covered. And then he saw the back of God, which was the partial revelation of the glory of God. It was enough to tease him to be hungry for more, to be hungry to pursue the Lord. It was the radiance of the Almighty God, albeit partially. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking the other day I was at the, at, at the MAPCO, at MAPCO, and I parked on the side of the building, which I don't normally do, and I walked around the side of the building, and as soon as I walked around the side of the building, there was a wind coming my way, and I got hit in the face by the sweetest smelling cologne I've ever smelled. And I was like, oh, oh. But I didn't see a human there. So I kind of like, <laughs> so I walked so I walked around. It was, it was good smelling clone. So I walked to the door, and I stood at the door. I, I know they thought I was strange. I stood at the door for a good five or ten seconds, like looking and trying to dissect of the five people that were in there who had the cologne. Mainly because I thought, man, I should buy this cologne. I want, I want people, you know, following me. It reminds me of back in the day. It reminds me of back in the day, uh, the Pepe Le Pew cartoons. And he had this girlfriend that he loved, which was also a skunk. And there was this, she was a skunk, right? Whatever she was. Anyway, she, uh, he followed her, um, and, or he followed her around, and behind her would be this odor cloud. I assume now, when I, thought, when I was a kid, I thought, oh, that's perfume. I think it was skunk smell. But he was attracted to the skunk smell. And he would follow her, and his... Body would lift up off the ground all of a sudden, and his nose would carry him to the scent of his skunky girlfriend. And that's where my trivial mind went when I thought about seeing the backside of the glory of the Lord. Not the skunk smell, but the other part. It's just a part, it's just a part of the glory of God. It's just a piece. You don't really see the, in, the, in all of these images, you don't really see the Lord. You don't really see the person. You don't really see the origin of that glorious smell. But you know it's there, and it's, you're just trailing it just so you can want more, just so you can know its origin, just so you can feel a little bit more of what you're experiencing right there. Moses saw it. He wanted it more. 
and he transferred that down to his people. He said, you should want to know the ways of the Lord. You should want to do the ways of the Lord. You should want to have the presence of the Lord. You should want to follow Him. You should want to know the glory of the Lord. It's interesting here, and you might not have caught this because you might have passed over it, but I'm going to give it to you. The Lord says, I'm going to show you my glory, and what does He do? He walks past Him. That's neat. That's awesome. What does He do? He says, I'm going to give you my name. And, I, and then he says, it's out of place, right? He says, I will bless those who I choose to bless, and I will curse those who I choose to curse. The glory of the Lord is found in his great name and the power of his sovereignty. That's what the Bible's saying. That's what the glory of the Lord is. His great name. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the what? The glory of God the Father at His name. The glory was in His name. That is why we don't use the name of the Lord in vain. That is why we don't use it, and we don't use it even generically in vain. But more importantly, His name is great because it is at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that man is saved. But then... He says, I'll bless those who I will bless and curse those who I'll curse. I will give grace to who I will give grace to and show mercy to who I will show mercy to. Friends, I will tell you the glory of the Lord is that he is the God that is in control of the world. He is in control of salvation. He chose to listen to Moses that day. He chose to be with the people. And then Eventually, they set up tabernacle in their midst, and he was in the midst of his people. And the tent of meeting was actually set up in the middle of the tabernacle. But then one day, as we all know, John says it so eloquently, that the Lord, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He dwelt in our midst. He became a part of us so that we become a part of him. Would you repent of your failings in pursuing the Lord every day? I know I do. Would you repent of your failings in pursuing His glory, pursuing His presence? And would you pursue after Him like no other? The problem with all of this godlessness, the problem with the idols, the problem with the rings and the jewelry, the problem with the the celebrations that they had, is not so much that there were other gods in the midst. It was that they pursued God. They didn't pursue God as the most important thing in their life. Had they done that, now you hear me, now hear the whole thing I'm saying. Had they done that, the other gods would have never come up. The gods were a symptom of a lack of pursuit of the presence of God. Do you understand? Friends, if you put God at the forefront of your life, through your prayer, through reading, through the association that you have with other people, other Christians, through the relationships that you have with non-Christians that are gospel-centered and gospel-forward, through your church relationships, through your study of Scripture, if you put God at the forefront, if you are pursuing the presence of God, friends, there is no room for a factory of idols. There is no room for the idols in the heart of man. Would you pray with me today and let's close our service out. God, we love you. 
Lord, you are so good and you're so holy. You have given us of your goodness. You've shown us your ways. You have taught us how to follow them. You've taught us how to be obedient to them. You have, Lord, you've given us your presence. You've told us that uh, you will be with us even till the end of the age. It's one of the greatest things you said after the Great Commission. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. You have promised never to leave us or to forsake us. You've promised that those that the Father give you will not sna- you will not be able to snap people will not be able to snatch them out of your hand. Your presence, Lord, is what we cherish. Your presence is what we long for, and it's what sustains us. God, would you help us as we go throughout our week, throughout our life, to shift our focus, shift our priorities, shift our hope in the presence of God, the ways of God, the will of God, so that we may be known by God, that we may find favor in His sight, but that we may see the glory of God and do His will to His glory. (laughs) Lord, we love You. We praise You. We give You this day. We give You this week. We give You our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.